passage in First John is really a powerful, powerful one because John recognizes the fact that even though we've been forgiven of our sins, we still mess up and we need that extra, that new shot of forgiveness. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, kind of like uh, this white shirt. At some point today, something will get on it. I can almost guarantee it. And it will have to go into the laundry, and it may need some extra stain removal to get it white again. And that's kind of the way it is with our lives. We need that. I want to talk to you today uh, from 1 Timothy chapter 6, just two verses that are there, but I want to talk about what it means to be a man of God. The relationship between Paul and Timothy, I think, is a, is a great uh, model for us in understanding, especially the role of mentorship, uh, Paul being the older um, refers to Timothy actually as a spiritual son. There is a strong, close bond between these two people. Uh, It is apparent that Paul cared deeply for Timothy. It's unknown whether or not Timothy was a direct uh, convert of the Apostle Paul. Uh, What we do know about him, nothing is ever said to us about Timothy's father, But we know that his mother and his grandmother were godly people and that they had taught him about the scriptures and Paul commends them for what they have done. But at some point, Paul enters into the life of this family and a relationship develops between him and Timothy and Timothy becomes one of Paul's co-laborers and helpers. The books of First and Second Timothy were written to Timothy from the hand of Paul to instruct him and to give him, in essence, the charge to carry on the ministry that they had begun together. I find it interesting when we look in terms of this relationship how some have tried to distort it and pervert it. In fact, in the gay community... Oftentimes, there is the uh, communication that Paul and Timothy were actually lovers, that that was their relationship. I think it's unfortunate that somehow or another we have lost this ideal that men can have a close relationship with one another and it not be a sexual relationship, that it simply be a bond between two men a love that is formed. Uh, You know, in our lives, for all of us, some of us recognize that we may have acquaintances, people we know, they're they're kind of out there, we see them, we might can call them by name, know a little bit about them, maybe not a much. Then there are others that we know more about them, uh, and they would be in our circle of friends. But then there are those people who are really close to us, They're smaller in number, but we have a real relationship with them. There is a bond that exists between them. 
uh, an important one. And those are important relationships. Uh, especially when they are people that we identify with in terms of even our, uh, our gender, gender identity. And so we, set, we recognize and understand that that bond can be there and it is there. Paul truly loved Timothy. As a father loves a son, Paul loved Timothy. It is a capacity that God has given and has allowed us to be able to have those kind of relationships in our lives and it being there. It's also possible for you and I as believers to oppose a lifestyle without condemning the person to hell. In other words, we can hate what they do, but we can still love them as individuals. I think it's a shame today that we have uh, kind of adopted a, a general attitude of tolerance that says that if you care about somebody, you have to accept everything about them. When in reality, it's not true. The truth is, is that there are in our lives people that we love dearly that may do things that we know are wrong. And we have a responsibility in terms of how that we react to them in the process of that. Shared with you last week how saddened I was when I turned on the news and I heard about the shooting that had happened in Orlando. Saddened because the reality is is, is that those people did not deserve to die. There was no reason for them to experience what they experienced. Forty-nine people killed. 53 wounded. So far, all 53, to my knowledge, have survived. Heard a news story this week about one of the doctors, and when he came out of uh, that first night's experience, that first early morning experience, his shoes were covered in blood from the various victims that he had operated on after many, many hours. And... In the interview, he stated uh, that he plans to wear those shoes until every victim goes home. as just a memorial to them and to what took place. Chick-fil-A took a stand months ago, well over a year ago, against the whole issue of gay marriage. They were criticized for it, in fact, the gay community launched a, uh, a boycott of uh, Chick-fil-A's that backfired. It didn't work out. In fact, they actually sold more sandwiches because of their, their, their commitment to Christ and their stand. The owner of Chick-fil-A has a, a store policy that Chick-fil-A is always closed on Sunday so his employees can go to church. Now, he can't force them to go to church, obviously, but at least if there's no work involved, then they can go. So if you want a chicken sandwich, and by the way, if you've ever eaten at Chick-fil-A, it's worth going to. It's great. Okay. If you've ever eaten there, you know it's quality food. It's good food. Okay. Um, that's part of uh, what's made them so successful. 
and again their Christian principles. What you didn't hear, perhaps on the news, uh, was that that Sunday morning when the shooting occurred, that the employees of Chick-fil-A went to work. They didn't come and make chicken sandwiches to sell. They made chicken sandwiches to take to people who are waiting in line at the blood bank, those who were donating blood, and they handed them out free of charge. Now, why did they do that? Because I think that the manager of that local store asked the question, what would Jesus do? And he knew the answer, and he responded. And one more time, we see a response of a Christian that was so appropriate and so powerful. It had nothing to do with a political statement. It was not done for publicity. They didn't call the local stations and say, come see what we're about to do. They just responded to the need. It was there. I had a cousin who was gay, a couple years older than me. At some point, he pretty well disappeared from our family. In large part because of his lifestyle. And yet I look back on uh, that and there was no secret. It was known within the family. But I don't ever remember one time my mom and dad ever showing anything but love to my cousin. As they would reach out to him and show him what it meant to be a believer. Billy died a few years ago. Cut off from his family. Most of his family had rejected him. A couple of years before his death, he had lost his partner. But it saddened me over the years that that relationship just could never be. He, no one knew where he was at. In fact, it wasn't until his obituary showed it in the paper that family even knew he was dead. No one there to attend his funeral in terms of the family. What a tragedy. What a tragedy. I understand all that. And I can say without any doubt, I loved him. He was my cousin. It saddens me to know the struggle that he went through. It saddens me even more to know that he rejected Christ. It saddens me not to know for sure where he is today in eternity. But I can say without any shame at all, I loved him. I've known gay people throughout my life and I've always tried to treat them as I believe Jesus would treat them. I see these people in the Hillsboro Baptist Church in in Kansas, can't remember the city they're in. And they hold up the sign, God hates fags and different things like that, and my heart grieves because they're wrong. Because Jesus died on a cross for all sin. And we somehow have made this sin even bigger than other sins when it's just sin. 
And it's a sin that only Jesus can take care of. And he does it through his power, through his forgiveness. Paul and Timothy had a relationship that was just a strong bond between two men. Two men who truly loved one another. Two men who understood one another. And two men who devoted their lives to the Christ that they served and is there. In our text, what we're going to read is Paul addressing Timothy in this way. But you, O man of God. Can you imagine what that must have been like for Timothy? For his mentor to, to write this letter to him and say, You, man of God. What, a, what an honor. What a... Really, what, what a, a strengthening in terms of being called by somebody who had such vast regard for and respect for to be called a man of God. But Paul addresses that, and I want us to look at it together. Look at me at 1 Timothy chapter 6. I want us to read verses 11 and 12. If, you, if your Bible's like mine, it's uh, headed, Paul's charge to Timothy. And it says this, But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and goodness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confessions, confession in the presence of many witnesses. So Paul, writing to Timothy, says, man of God. Then he says, pursue righteousness. Pursue righteousness. He lays out some of those qualities that he has talked about in times past in what we would call some of them the characteristic or fruit of the Spirit. But what he's actually saying to Timothy is, make that your pursuit. He's not calling upon Timothy to somehow try to make his life better by his works, but that just out of his relationship with God, these are the things that are going to happen. That there will be a pursuit of the righteousness that is in Christ. There will be a desire to become like Jesus. And that's what he's calling upon Timothy to do. He's recognizing and understood that Timothy will lead his life in such a way as to imitate Christ, to be a follower of Christ, to be so identified with Him that people would see within Him the Christ that He served. There's a tremendous story about a missionary who had gone to a country. And when he arrived in that country, he found out that there had been a change in the laws of the government and that it was no longer legal for him to share Jesus. He was discouraged by that and considered leaving, but the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, No, I want you to remain and I want you to live my life before these people. So he ends up in this village, and after many, many years, unable to share Christ, unable to preach the gospel, but just living his life among them, he dies. And they bury him in their village. 
Some months after his death, the laws had changed. Missionaries were now allowed in the country, could freely proclaim Christ. And a missionary came to their village and he began to describe to them Jesus and what he, uh, his love for them and his compassion for them. And a man in the crowd became very excited and he said, I know him, I know him. And the missionary was a little bit perplexed by that. And so he went to the man and said, uh, how, do you, how do you know him? He said, come, I'll show you his grave. And he took him to the grave of the former missionary. That man had so lived a Christ-like life that when the description of Jesus was shared with them, others could respond to that. What a life. And that's what Paul is saying to Timothy. Pursue righteousness. Make living right your goal. Go for it and live for it. He addresses actually two areas when he talks about righteousness. First of all, he talks about conduct. We're to live right. We're to do the right kinds of things. Uh, Fits in so well with what uh, Christina was sharing with us in the children's message today. The reality when the Bible says bad company corrupts morals, the reality is, is, is that when we allow the influence of the world to affect us stronger than our influence on the world, we're in trouble. There was a time within the church that we advocated that people have nothing to do with unbelievers, and that was wrong. Because the reality is, is that we ought to be reaching out to them, but not in order that they would influence us their direction, but that we would influence them toward Christ. That we would begin live a life of example before them so that they would see how then we ought to live and that it would expect them. We do that not through condemnation, but we do that through, again, our love of people and our love of God and how it will affect other people. And then there is the fact that Righteousness is also a devotion. It's a matter of the heart. Living for Christ really is about the passion of our heart. Is when our hearts are so fixed upon Him that it's easy to do the right thing. Much easier than what we might might expect. You know, it always amazes me because when I was growing up as a teenager, uh, it seemed to me that oftentimes that in the way that people of the church looked at things, that sin was spelled F-U-N. Anything that was fun was sin. Heard about a little old lady that was in a park with her son years ago, and she had never eaten an ice cream cone. Now, can you imagine? Never eaten an ice cream cone. Her son, being aware of that, bought her an ice cream cone. And he brought it to her, She took the ice cream and she took one lick of it and then she threw it in the garbage can. And he said, well, mother, wasn't it any good? She said, oh, it was wonderful. And he said, well, if it was wonderful, why did you throw it away? And she said, well, son, anything that tastes that good must be sin. See, there's something wrong with that, okay? I believe that God has so created us that we ought to be able to enjoy life to its fullest. 
that we find the joy and the pleasure in life, perhaps in its simplest form, but we enjoy life. You know, there's just not too much uh, good publicity for Christians who walk around who look like they've been sucking on lemons all day long. Okay, there, There's a joy that ought to be ours. Lydia and I were on our way to a funeral today. I don't know if it was on the way or coming back. But uh, I made mention of the fact that I go to Tidra to get my hair cut. And I said, you know, when Tidra is your, uh, your hairstylist, the reality is even if you're having a bad day, just going to get your hair cut will change all that. Because she just brings to, to life just that joy, that, that vibrancy of living, okay? She does that without the use of drugs and alcohol and other things. Isn't that amazing? Okay. The reality is, is that that ought to be what we're demonstrating to the world around us because it's a matter of the heart. When we pursue righteousness, it will make all the difference in the world. And then he says to Timothy, fight the good fight. Fight the good fight. What he's saying to Timothy is, is that we are in a battle that there is a battle for that which is right and that which is wrong and that we have to stand up. It is a call to us as believers that we are to spread the message of Christ, to take our stand for that which is right and to declare it. It is in every sense of the word a defense of the gospel, being able to, to stand upon what we believe in, to demonstrate that faith, that faith and that um, that encouragement that comes from him. In various ways, you've heard it said, and I've actually heard it attributed to several different people, but it simply, in a nutshell, simply says that if good men do nothing, evil prevails. And there is truth in that. When we fail to take a stand for that which is right, then we allow others to dictate for us what is wrong. Now, certainly there are Christians that um, uh, are kind of uh, overzealous and they're on a campaign against everything. And unfortunately, there are times that in the world that we, we stand out more for what we say we're against than what we're for. But the reality is we ought to always be for Jesus and what he stands for. And when that is shared, again, out of love and compassion to others, it touches their hearts. It affects them, and they recognize it. Paul was well aware of the conflict that believers would face. His life, in many ways, was a model of how you deal with those conflicts. Think about it. Paul had many who were opposed to his message. There were the Jews who had no desire to turn to this false Messiah. They called him Jesus, and they attacked Paul. They were, they were vigilant in their attacks upon him. In fact, they would institute uh, riots. In fact, Paul's arrest came because of their accusing him of preaching blasphemy because he was proclaiming Messiah. Then there was a group of Jews who were professing Jesus. But what they actually said was, is that to become a believer in Christ, you had to first become a Jew by becoming a proselyte 
which meant that uh, if you were a male, you'd be circumcised, that you would have to undergo a, clear, a, a, a ceremonial cleansing, and you would have to adopt the rules of Judaism. But Paul understood that to be wrong. But they opposed him. In fact, when new churches would begin, it wasn't uncommon for this group of people to follow Paul and come in and try to stir up trouble and to uh, actually confront his apostleship and challenge him. He was familiar with conflict. But that wasn't the end of his conflict. When Paul would go into these uh, Roman cities, he also faced the opposition of what we would call the pagans. Can you imagine what would happen if there was a move of God in Bismarck to the degree that people stopped going to the bars? How do you think that would make the liquor industry happen? Well, Paul came in preaching that there was only one God and that you didn't need an idol to worship him. And it had a severe impact on the local craftsmen who made the idols. And oftentimes they would stir up animosity. In fact, in one city, Paul was stoned because it was the craftsmen who riled up the crowd and he ended up facing the consequences. But that wasn't all the conflict. Paul faced a conflict with the government. You've got to remember that he operates under a Roman system that by this time in history had determined that the Caesar was also a god and that every Roman citizen was expected to worship Caesar as a god. Jesus confronted that. The Jewish leaders came to him with a coin or came to him and said, who should we pay taxes to? And Jesus said, show me a coin. And he looks at the Roman coin and he said, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and unto God what is God's. Okay? And he put them to silence. Paul came proclaiming that there was only one God and he was the Lord God himself in opposition to his own government and would eventually die for that very belief. Fight the good fight. In fact, Paul comes to the end of his life and in writing to Timothy, he said, I have fought the good fight. I've run the race. That's what he's calling upon Timothy and us to do. Fight the good fight. Stand. Make your stand. Then finally... He says to Timothy, the man of God will live for eternity. Now, understand what he's saying. He doesn't say that the man of God will live eternally. That is true. But he says the man of God will live for eternity. What does he mean by that? What Paul is saying to us is, is, is that the man of God looks beyond today, looks beyond the temporary in order to lay hold of the eternal. When I was in Bible college, the president of the Bible college, Dr. Vaught, 
in a chapel service one day. I couldn't tell you the whole sermon, couldn't even tell you his text. But I can tell you one statement out of that sermon that so impacted my life. And Dr. Vaught simply said, do not sacrifice on the altar of the temporary things that will affect eternity. I've never forgotten that. Because what he was saying to us as a group of young college students was, how easy it is for us to get caught up in the here and now and forget that the here and now is just but a drop in the bucket of eternity. So he says, live for eternity. Live your life in such a way that you're looking beyond the moment and you're understanding the consequences and you're looking with a view toward heaven and a view toward eternity. Live your life in such a way that it will really honor and glorify the Christ we have. He says to Timothy, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So this moment in time, and that's what it is, a moment in time, is important, but it is not more important than eternity. Man of God, Pursue righteousness, fight the good fight, and live for eternity. Will you bow your heads with me as we pray together? Almighty and sovereign God, thank you today for the words that Paul wrote to Timothy and to us, applicable to each one of us, recognizing, O oh God, that we do live in perilous times. There are before us challenges and conflicts. And yet, O oh God, there is grace. Guide our steps. Lead us, O oh Lord, in the, in the pursuit of righteousness. And help us, Heavenly Father, to take our stand for what is right. God, may we do so with a loving spirit and in a way that honors you so that you, O oh God, might be glorified. Guide us now, we pray. Direct our path. And keep us in your care. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.